You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and this is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I've got on the line with me today our co-host, Mr. Pierce Nellis. Pierce, what's going on, buddy? Not much, man. Just recovering from a weekend of weddings. Dude, it's it's uh, it, it, is it that time of year already? It's the end of that time of year. Oh, it was, okay. It was a long summer, let me tell you. Yeah, Full so, with celebration, mind you, but it was a long summer of that. <laughs> right, right. And man, that's uh, yeah the the way weddings work these days. It's it's good it's and you're happy and you, dude. It's such a production. Like I look back on when I got married, I'm like, holy cow, man! Like that was simple. Like we mm-hmm. just showed up and said our vows and it was done. Uh, but dude, today, like groomsmen and and bridesmaids are expected to do a lot. Yeah, like yeah. there's a whole. That wasn't the case for me this weekend, but it was. It, it still is. Yeah. You just, I mean, just attending alone, right? Is it's a whole production? Right. I don't know. Right. I they do the text. The the tux rental is what got me this year. I couldn't believe that. Really? Mind you, for for just so I, I've rented tuxes before and stuff, but like, you know, normally you get the jacket, pants, shirt you know, maybe a, a tie or, you know, shoes and your know, stuff's included or whatever. I open up the bag this time and for just the jacket and just the pants, nothing else. It was still like 180 bucks. What? I couldn't believe it. Holy <laughs> cow. Dude, you can get a whole new set of arrows for 180 bucks. That's what I'm saying, man. That's that's trail cam money right there. Right. We don't have to kind of wait. So if you are if you are listening to this right now and you're thinking about getting married, do not make people buy a tux. That is trail cam money. That is arrow money. Uh, <laughs> and as a matter of fact, you know what? If you're getting married after after right now, uh, this fall, then, like, that's on you. Like, we're just not coming. <laughs> that's your fault. You should have known better. People are not going to come to your wedding because, uh, Pierce, it's almost deer season. Yes, sir. We are, by the time this airs, we will be literally days away. Yeah, less than a week. I, I, that's wild to think about that is dude that is so along those lines we had jc from papa's trading post uh where's that at over in uh, arena over in arena so we had jc on we wanted to talk to him about uh broadheads and arrows and all of that stuff so give me a quick Mm -hmm. rundown of like why you wanted to have have him on and maybe some of your experience with the shop because during the show we didn't want to get too much into like um you know, fanboying or whatever. 
Right, right. Yeah, no. <laughs> we, uh, so, so I've gone to that shop for years now. Um, and it's, you know, that was the, the closest one for me and uh, everything growing up. And, you know, it's just an awesome shop with an awesome staff. Um, really nice indoor 40 yard range um, and all that. And they've got a great selection of gear as well. But they're, they're shop employees. Um, you know, have just been unbelievably helpful the last couple of years. And I've found like the last, you know, two or three years or so, uh, I've gone in there just to drop up, drop up, sorry, drop off my bow for a tune. And, uh, you know, I've, I've found myself standing around in there leaning on the counter for an hour, you know, talking whatever with these guys. And it's, uh, you know, a lot of it came back around to, uh, you know, a lot of the trends that they're sick of seeing people come in with the concern of like, oh, my arrow needs to be this weight. And if it's not this weight, and I'm not achieving this level of FOC, and I don't have this many grains up front, like, you know, YouTube tells me I might as well not even be hunting, right? Right. And, uh, you know, just watching those guys get frustrated by like, oh my God, and roll their eyes and, um, you know, just do some uh, more or less, I guess, myth, myth busting. Um, you know, I, I figured, you know, these guys, I'm like, you know what, somebody else needs to hear this. Cause every time I leave that shop, I'm like, dude, you're never going to guess what I just like, I, I just had a revelation in the archery <laughs> shop <laughs> right, right. and, uh, and suddenly I'm a lot more confident in my setup than I was. Um, and so I, I figured it would be, it'd be great to have JC on, um, just to, you know, he's a guy who's been in the industry forever not for not to age him because he's not old but he's you know he's been working in the shop uh since i think 2005 he said yep um and uh he he's just he's seen it all and those guys i know they work on how many hundreds of bows every year um and he's just been around it and he's gone through it and he's seen it done it fixed it for years and years and years and uh i think a lot of folks are going to benefit from this conversation because there's a lot of myth busting. <laughs> right, absolutely. So we get into uh, arrow speed and and really that sweet spot, which was really intriguing to me, especially these days when most people are like, ah, who cares how fast your arrow flies? As long as it's eight and a half pounds, uh, yeah. you're good to go. You know, you're gonna get a pass through. And, mm -hmm. but we, we talk about what is a sweet spot. We talk about, you know, spine and, and what that means as far as, you know, where most people should probably be coming in if you're an average, mm -hmm human being you know of, of average size and strength we talk about broadheads and yeah. foc up front and how important that really is or or maybe isn't and uh, maybe we're blowing it a little bit out of the water so uh yeah just a, a great episode all around so folks we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors and then we're going to jump right into the conversation with jc get ready to share your hunt this season with the tacticam 6.0 point of view camera featuring a built-in one inch lcd touchscreen one touch operation weatherproof housing, and mounts to fit any style of hunting, the Tacticam 6.0 is sure to simplify the self-filming process for you and make sure you have high-quality footage to share with family and friends. The 6.0 features up to 8x zoom, new image stabilization technology that takes the shock out of the shot and lets you capture crystal clear 4K 60 frame per second footage. Now through September 21st, you can get a 6.0 camera, a stabilizer mount, a clamp mount, and a bottle of scrape fix for just $355.99. To learn more or pick up your 6.0 today, head over to Tacticam.com. If you want to create more memories and fill your freezer while you're doing it, 
The Onyx Hunt app is a must-have tool in your arsenal. With major new aerial imagery updates with historic look back, high frequency imagery, and even the ability to order your own custom imagery, the Onyx Hunt app has solidified itself as the leader among mapping systems. Now this is all on top of the public and private land ownership info, the ability to use this app with no service, and the unmatched reliability that you have come to expect out of the Onyx Hunt app. You can try the Onyx Hunt app for free for seven days. Just go find them on the app store of your choice, or you can go to onyxmaps.com to learn more. The archery opener is right around the corner, and you can hunt in comfort this season with camo from Huntworth. They make high-quality technical camo at a fraction of the price of other brands. My personal favorites for the early season include the Durham lightweight pants, which are rugged and durable, but also lightweight and breathable with just the right amount of stretch where it counts, and the Gadsden quarter zip hoodie, which is made to be breathable and moisture wicking. To make building out your kit simpler, the Huntworth website now features their new system builder. This tool will help you grab the right camo no matter what season or species you're hunting. To check out their full camo line, head over to HuntworthGear.com. Now let's get into this week's show. All right, on the line with me today for the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Mr. Pierce Nellis, my co-host, and JC from Pappas Trading Post. What's up, guys? Hey, good morning. Morning. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you, man. So uh, I'm pretty pumped for today's episode. We've got JC on to talk about uh, some arrows, some broadheads, some archery issues that people may be encountering uh, from Pappas Trading Post. And so I thought we would kick things off here, JC. Just give us a little bit of a rundown of who you are, and then Pierce, we'll let you take it over and kind of tell us what uh, what the topic of discussion, I guess, is going to be or where we're going to kick things off because I know with your uh, archery experience over the last couple of years, this is, uh, this is near and dear to your heart, let's say. Sure. Um, well, I actually grew up out on the East Coast in Vermont, uh, moved out here to Wisconsin in 2005. Uh, I was actually working with the university doing some CWD research and stuff. And archery has always been my my love, one of my loves in, in life. And uh, got to know the guys here at the shop uh, that owned it there originally and started working part time. And I mean, within a few months, even it was full time, just the way my schedule worked out. And uh have never left so i've been here you know since 05 working um you know hunted pretty much my entire life since i was well 10 years old and can get a tag back east <laughs> so uh been uh done quite a bit out west uh not as much as i'd like to i'm working in the industry probably but uh been around a little bit and if i haven't i know a lot of guys that have, have done a lot of stuff so <laughs> so what was that what was that transition like for you moving to Wisconsin and experiencing hunting in Wisconsin as compared to back home? Uh, the hunting side of it was like completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, I mean, we were blessed back home. We had, you know, around 1,200 acres that we could hunt um, from different property owners and stuff right there on the hill. And, and we had deer to hunt, right, for Vermont. Um, but when you're talking five to maybe 10 deer square mile, you know, and you come out here and you're talking hundreds. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a pretty target rich environment in that, in comparison, um, and then the quality as well. You know, I mean, around here you've got at least in this area, you know, we're probably right not quite fifty fifty egg. Um, you know, where you go back home, you know, they're 
I think the last stat I saw was Vermont was like 86 or 88 percent wooded, um, and most of that is mature. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, just habitat difference and what the, what it can hold and, and the quality of animals. It's it's incredible. It's right. just a night and day. Right. Right. Pierce, man, you wanna you wanna kick things off here? How do, how do we want to start? Well, first, I mean, just on that note there of. Uh, yeah, that, that hunting out east in the big woods and stuff like that. You and I were just chatting last week about how I've got an opportunity this season to go and chase some deer up in the UP. And yep. uh, I, I wasn't quite aware that the densities were that low. And uh, <laughs> right. so, yeah, that, that does seem like a stark contrast going big woods um, with you know, five to 10 per square mile compared to the hundreds that we have uh, running across the road um, and, you know, in our backyards all around here. But um yeah, so I, I've been going to uh, going to the shop, Pappas Trading Post, uh, over in Arena for, shoot, almost 10 years now that I've been bow hunting. Um, and every time I'm in there, you know, the staff's always great. They're always super helpful. You've got a really just extremely knowledgeable group of guys in there. Um, but in the last couple of years, I think most of us have uh, seen a lot of content, heard a lot of trends um, about just how our arrows need to be built and how we maybe need to be shooting a, a big boy or an adult arrow um, or, you know, fixed blade versus mechanical and what works and what doesn't and how you have to be doing this so that you get the you know necessary FOC. Um, you know, you've got to have this helical on your fletchings and you need this many of them. There's just a lot of stuff out there. And I tried toying around with it over the years um, and found myself scratching my head and super frustrated as I tried kind of working through that to the point where last year I was in the shop uh, talking to you guys. And, you know, right now I think I'm shooting a 440 grain arrow and I'm shooting pretty darn well compared to how I was shooting back then. And I think a lot of it does have to do with what my arrow setup is looking like. And so I figured it would be a good idea if we were to have you on to just discuss you know, from, from knock to broadhead, what goes into the arrow building process? What does the average hunter, um, who's chasing, you know, anything from whitetail to, you know, maybe they're doing some stuff out West. Um, you know, what, what really goes into that? And so I guess like just to start, where does that arrow building process start for you? Um, for myself, uh, I mean, I'm always tinkering with stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and for, years i mean up until i uh, would have been about 2014 ish 15 even um and maybe even a little after that you know i was shooting a standard diameter arrow uh pretty standard fletch you know most of the time a blazer um you know stock components 100 grain head um so and for most of that time probably shooting and well, my draw length is 27 and a half. Uh, I was usually shooting around 65, 66 pounds, somewhere in there. Um, you know, so that finished arrow, depending on which, which spine I was shooting, which bow, uh, typically would be about 370 to 385 grains, somewhere in there. Um, and it, you know, I shot uh, fixed heads for quite a bit of that time um, and actually switched... I can't even remember exactly which year now, but probably right around 2009, um, started playing a lot more with mechanicals. Um, just being here in the shop, getting questions all the time. 
And, uh, you know, I, I stuck with that, that general arrow for quite a while. Um, and like I said, just played with different heads and quite honestly, didn't see a huge difference in penetration. Um, that didn't seem to matter with deer turkeys, uh, which is what I was able to hunt around here. Right. Um, you know, when it came to shooting long range, you know, I was able to shoot well out to 80, hundred yards practicing. Um, so never really gave it a lot of thought. And then it's, you know, kind of one of those things where the industry as a whole started to shift maybe a little bit. Um, so then I started tinkering with, um, some micro diameter arrows, some of the four millimeters, um, shot those actually really up until last year or so. Um, and then started playing with kind of that mid range, what would be a five mil. Um, and honestly, from one to the other, it's very minor differences. Uh, and what we're looking for, you know, I started doing a lot more long range hunting, you know, out West, that sort of thing. That's why I went to the smaller dammer because it's just kind of take that one variable out. Sure. Um, in most cases, you know, I personally don't know that it makes that big a difference for us average human beings. I mean, we're, we can only hold the bow so steady, right. And make such mm-hmm. a shot. Um, if it's going to be really windy, it's going to be really windy, whether you're shooting a micro or you're shooting a standard shaft. Um, yes, that drift will vary some, but chances are we can't hold the bow steady enough at that point in those conditions to really see it an enormous difference. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things like just refining that as I've gone along. Um, the main reason for going back to kind of playing with the five mils a little bit, you know, is honestly lighted knocks. Um, there are lighted knocks for the four millimeters, um, that, you know, are capable of where they work. Right. But they're usually kind of a one-time use. Um, with the five mil, you start getting into a beefier knock, which really allows you to, to use it for what it's meant to be used for. Um, and not have to worry about that, you know, the durability of that component. Um, so I usually just kind of start with like for me with my bow builds and stuff, uh, I will start with kind of a a speed that I want to get to or be around. Mm-hmm. Uh, which for me, typically being a shorter draw length is going to be about 280 feet a second. Um, if I can get to 290, great. <laughs> um, you know, if I'm 270, it's okay. Right. I mean, I'm not giving up much at that point. Uh, once you start getting, you know, below say 260 or even really, you know, above that 295 300 it would be like kind of the fast cutoff i mean i don't have to worry about it i'll never get there um but that would be about as fast as i would want the arrow moving uh, just for forgiveness reasons Mm -hmm. um so i kind of start there and and you know what is my shaft weight going to be grains per inch um in my spine so i usually shoot a 300 spine uh, which is a little bit on the stiffer side probably um, but it allow it just from shooting has been more consistent for me. It doesn't seem to magnify my mistakes as much. Um, so I usually kind of start there, get that general speed, um, get the proper spine for that, that bow setup, draw weight, draw length, um, and then kind of build it out from there. I usually 
with most of your companies out there nowadays, uh, they're kind of set in that sweet spot for most of us um, out there um, as far as like weight and speed goes. Um, most of the companies are going to be somewhere around that 400 to 450 grains with, you know, stock um, components um, for the average archer anyway. If sure. you get a little shorter, a little, you know, there's there's <laughs> exceptions out there, of course. So you had um, mentioned just there that you, know, you, you like that 300 spine. And it's a little bit more forgiving, it seems. And so is that are the so the stiffer the shaft just so I'm, I'm tracking here, the stiffer the shaft, is that going to be the less forgiving that arrow is going to be or the more forgiving? How does that work? Um, I know it kind of has to do with your draw weight and everything. So there's kind of a, there's a middle ground to that, just like everything mm -hmm. else. Um, if you kind of look at that scale from weak to stiff or a little extra stiff, um, either kind of right in the middle or a little stiff for most hunting situations is going to be better than, you know, perfect to less to you know too weak sure um and a lot of that just has to do with broadhead flight right we're we're putting fletchings on the front of our arrows so the more that arrow is going to you know flex um and change the more variation we're going to get downrange sure and simple um that's why most guys you know with a stiffer a little bit stiffer arrow shaft will see better broadhead flight especially in a fixed head um, when you switch to, you know, we get those extremes and that's where you kind of will see it more, um, you know, as a, a middle in that 28, 29 inch draw length, most of us guys are going to say, Oh, you know, I'm just not shooting as good as I was, you know, last week or whatever, mm -hmm. um, or last year where you get the guys that are in the extremes. So you start looking at like 30 to 32 inch draw lengths. Um, that's when you kind of start to see that spine really show up the most. Okay. Uh, in most cases, uh, you know, we've got guys that'll shoot say 31 and about 60, 65 pounds, and they'll shoot maybe a, a 400 spine arrow with a field tip on it. And it's like, Oh, it shoots great. Shoots great. Shoots great. And then they throw a broadhead on there and it's like, it's all over the place. Right. And it's like, well, you just don't have enough arrow. They throw a broadhead on a 350 and it's, you know, it's just throwing them right in there. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of an extreme with today's bows. Like most that draw length now, you'd pretty much be in a, a 300 spine for the most part. Sure. Um, and that's you're shooting super low poundage. But, um, you know, that's where you kind of see those differences. Even going on the, the lighter side, you know, shorter draw length, lighter weight. Uh, like, say, my wife, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, she's shooting 42 pounds. If I put her in a 400 spine arrow, she shoots well. Um, but if I put her in a 500 spine arrow, everything else being the same, that group shrinks right up just a little bit. You know, I mean, it's going from maybe a four inch group at 40 yards or, or say six inch group at 40 yards going to three inch group at 40 yards. Okay. Um, and it, the only thing that changed was the spine of the arrow. So, okay. uh, so you kind of as long as you're kind of in the ballpark, you're usually going to be really good. Um, you know, fletching on that side, quite honestly, there's tons of difference of, in fletchings out there. Um, as long as you get one that sticks good, you know, most, you know, most guys are shooting a, a blazer style or like a Raptor um, from Q2I. 
you know, great fixed blade head or uh, fletching. Um, it covers everything, right? I mean, from top to bottom. Uh, if you want to get into kind of fine tuning things where you're like, hey, you know, I'm going to shoot a little bit more long range. Um, I'm going to shoot an expandable. Um, and I want something as quiet as I can get it. Well, now you're going to start talking about a, a lower profile vein, you know, something like a heat vein, um, you know, tack. Uh, their veins are a little taller than, say, heat, but not much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, AAE makes some good ones, uh, Q2I with FX2. Um, so that's where that difference comes in, right? We kind of start building arrows for specific purposes. Sure. Um, and they can be used all across the board. It's just how far down that that rabbit hole do you want to go? Right. So what you were saying there, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds like the smaller the smaller the broadhead you've got up front, so say you're shooting at a smaller expandable head, that in flight is much more compact than, say, a fixed blade, you would then kind of want to match your fletchings to what you've got at the front of the arrow. So maybe a smaller head, you want a smaller fletching, or you can get away with the smaller fletching. Is that kind of how that works? Yeah, so you can get away with less fletching on the back end or a smaller okay. fletch on that back sure. end. Um, it's not necessarily the most optimal thing, again, depending on what you're doing. Um, you know, even when you're, you know, a guy talks three-fletch to four-fletch, so if I want to run a really small vein, like say the heat, I can shoot pretty much anything I want with that as long as I have four fletchings on the back. Okay. If I switch to a three, you know, I'm going to start seeing a little bit of variation there, um, especially as you get into some of the fixed, bigger fixed heads for sure. Um, but it's, I've also kind of noticed or played around with that a little bit myself, just trying to get that, that wind factor out. Right. Um, and you can only go so far, right? <laughs> There's uh, definitely a point of no return where you start getting into that. Um, it's such a, you're right on the edge. So maybe we make a little bit poorer shot or we get jacked up, right? I mean, we all get super excited when it comes to that moment of truth. And, you know, having a little bit of extra fletching back there for whatever you're shooting on the front is not going to hurt you one bit. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. JC, I want to jump back to something you mentioned earlier. So I'm a, I'm a short draw length guy, like 26 and a half, right? Um, 26 and a half might be generous for me. I'm not, I I don't know. So um, you mentioned that you're starting, you know, your, your arrow build with an idea of where you want to be speed wise. Now, from what I've been watching on YouTube, what I hear people talking about on podcasts across the board, it seems like people are like, ah, who cares about your speed? As long as you've got the right weight, as long as you're slinging the right weight, right. Or as long as it lands where you want it to, but you don't want to be below that 260 mark. I, I bought a new bow a couple years back. Um, and <clears throat> I got the bow that I did so that I could get to, a speed that I felt comfortable with, um, given the fact that I'm a short draw kind of guy, right? So why is it that you want to be above that 260? I know that, you know, above 295, around 300 can kind of be really unforgiving. But number one, why do you want to be around 260? And, you know, when it comes to people saying that that speed really doesn't matter, maybe give me your thought process behind saying, eh, it, 
It may not be the, the ultimate thing, but it does matter. So, I mean, like I was saying, I like to be in that 270, 280 plus range. Um, below 260, you're getting such an amount of arc on that arrow. Right. Um, that in most hunting situations, you know, unless you're hunting on a field, right? Um, plain and simply, it could be an issue. Deflection could be a huge issue. Right. Um, the other thing to that, you know, we talk about wind drift or, um, you know, even just shooting. So if we think about it in the respect that the amount of time it takes that arrow to get off the string and out of the bow. Okay. We have an effect on that arrow until that happens. Right. So if we're shooting, say below 260, well, we've just amplified that amount of time that we actually are affecting that arrow. Um, or in the time that it gets to the target, right? So if the wind's blowing 10 miles an hour from the side, well, if it takes it, you know, half a second to get there versus a quarter second, which obviously is an extreme, but it's going to have more time to push that arrow. So it kind of, there is that point of too fast, so to speak. You know, I mean, everybody's like, oh, speed kills. Well, to an extent, right? Um, I just find if we get slower than that and we can be quicker than that um, without really giving anything up, then it's just kind of a good number to try to get to um, for that ultimate forgiveness, kind of that forgiveness window of, you know, trajectory, um, overall speed, you know, how much that animal can move or how much outside effects can affect that arrow, um, you know, and how much we, we can change things. <laughs> right. Right. Just by making a bad shot. Yeah. That's a really good, uh, that's a really good point. One, one quote more question along that, same line. So I went with a bow um, because I'm a shorter draw length person. I went with a bow with a shorter brace height um, mm -hmm. because of the reading and looking around that I'd done was basically like, hey, if you're a 26 and a half inch draw, you can get away with a five inch brace height. You don't need the seven inch, you know, full seven inch brace height because of your build. You know, you can get away with a little bit more. When you're helping set up somebody with their bow, what is your thought process when it comes to that? brace height and how important that is um again it kind of comes down to the shooter a little bit but you know a lot of times that's why you see most of the lower draw length lighter poundage bows are typically going to be right around you know five and a half to six inch brace height for the most part um built by the the comp different companies out there and then you're going to kind of see that middle window is going to be about six six and a half now out to seven um, and now you don't really see much over seven right. um, until you get into target bows and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, when you look at it in the amount of time, again, that that arrow is actually on the string, that's where that shorter brace height basically makes a guy that's, say, 25 inches shooting a five-and-a-half-inch brace height is going to make that very similar to a guy that's seven or uh, 30 inches shooting a six and a half or a seven inch brace height, that right. time of arrow on the bow. Um, and we saw that it was kind of one of those things that we started seeing um, being a Matthews dealer. We started seeing that around the time of the, like the monsters and the MR6. So right around that 
2010, 12, somewhere in there. Um, we noticed guys switching from, say, like a switchback, right? Great bow, one of my favorite Matthews bows of all time. But it's on the slower side. I mean, it's a 315-ish, 320 foot per second IBO bow. Um, and then you go to a bow that's pushing that 345 to 350 IBO. Um, and we saw guys shooting better. And I think a lot of that just came down to the fact that that arrow, they had less less time to affect that arrow being on the string to the bowl or to the target. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. Well, I didn't, I didn't want to derail the, the arrow conversation, but as we were... As we were there with the speed, I wanted I wanted to, to touch on that just a little bit. So well, no, because um, I've got questions on that too. Now that we're opening that, <laughs> well, can I've of ruined here. the whole thing. <laughs> I've just ruined the entire conversation. I, I almost didn't even throw it out there. But now, go ahead, go ahead, Pierce, go ahead. Well, I was thinking of circling back to that, anyways. Um, so you know, that, thank you for the segue because that that's perfect. So bra- brace height. I didn't even think of that there. I was sitting here thinking, okay, shorter draw length. So then by default, should like someone with a shorter draw length be shooting a lighter arrow with maybe a heavier draw weight to, to achieve that FPS? Whereas somebody with a longer draw weight, can they get by with, you know, achieving the same FPS, if not higher, just because they've got a longer draw length. But I suppose the longer draw length, the more time on the bow. Yeah. Um, and in most cases there too, I mean, it can, it kind of comes down to what a guy can pull is comfortable pulling mm-hmm. or shooting. Um, you know, again, we see a lot of those different spectrums as far as, you know, maybe we get a really short guy, you know, in that 26 range or something, but he can pull 75, 80 pounds, no problem. Right. So you don't have to worry quite as much about that guy. Um, you know, he's going to be able to hit that two seventy, two eighty mark you know, pretty easily with a 400 to 450 grain arrow mm-hmm. ballpark. Um, it's when you get that shorter draw length, lighter poundage, that's when we would start lightening up that arrow a little bit just to try to help, you know, help you get there. Um, you know, again, like that, the case of, you know, of my wife, she's shooting a slower bow or whatever, but it's still, you know, arrow weight's going to be in that 350 range probably. Mm-hmm. And she's probably only shooting in the 240 foot a second because that's what she can pull comfortably and she can shoot really well. Because in the end, it all comes down to what, where, 
it all comes down to accuracy, right? If we can't comfortably put that arrow in that spot every single time, then the extra speed, the extra draw weight, the heavier arrow or lighter arrow, whatever, whichever way you go, none of that's going to matter. Right. Um, it's gotta be about accuracy. So that's kind of where we start usually would be just that comfort level. Um, as far as draw, you know, draw weight, um, goes, and then we can kind of go from there. Um, you know, if you're a new archer and you're just starting out and you're on that really low end, well, we'll probably start you with the pretty standard weight arrow and let you work up, you know, work your way up through it. Um, and you know, vice versa. There's a lot of guys now that are actually starting to go the other way where they're shooting less poundage or, um, you know, even lightening that arrow up just a little bit more so they can continue to get that little bit of extra speed out of it, Mm -hmm. but, but not going crazy. Sure. So, sure. So you're saying that being able to draw your bow comfortably and be able to shoot with good form and make an accurate shot is important, right? It is the most important thing. <laughs> Arguably more so than arrow weight and FOC. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And that's, you know, whether you, you watch a lot of the different stuff, info that's out there nowadays and, mm-hmm. you know, none of, none of any of this stuff that we're talking about is going to make a difference if you mm-hmm. don't work on yourself and learn to shoot a bull properly. Sure. Um, and really spend that time to be accurate plain and simple you know it's not you know we get that question all the time you know when we were talking about some stuff earlier we've got a guy that you know he wants to shoot you know he uses me as his uh, like um level or scale or whatever you know benchmark yeah he's like oh you know i want to shoot as good as you do and i'm like well then you need to put in the time that i put in which most guys gals aren't willing to do right and there's people that put in way more time than i do um perfect example would be uh, danny mccarthy um, professional shooter he used to live up here in sock really close and didn't have a place to shoot so he'd talk to us and he'd come down and use the lanes here and he would be here in the morning when we got here and he would leave with us he would shoot all day long. Now, obviously, take breaks and stuff like that, but it's putting the work in, right? Wow. A lot of guys aren't willing to do that. So, holy smokes. Well, that actually leads to one of the, you know, Josh and I were discussing prior to this, you know, just, just what are some, some good things to uh, work on? Because Josh and I have been starting to shoot a little bit more here. You're just getting ready for Wisconsin's bow opener. Um, and, and we were kind of just discussing, yeah, I haven't shot quite as much as I, uh, as I, you know, maybe should have and stuff. What is, you know, a good practice regimen for the average guy? And I know it's, that is completely dependent on the person, but just on average, you know, what's the, you know, is it, is it, you know, we've seen folks out there who shoot, yeah, I shoot one arrow a day. So I shoot cold and that's it. And that's all I do. And I don't develop bad habits and other people are out here shooting 60 to a hundred arrows a day. And, what's the what's the best the best advice you've got for someone who's uh the best advice there would be consistency so i personally don't think one arrow a day is enough um, because we will never build up that muscle memory of what a good shot feels like right unless we can make a perfect shot every time and i 
I don't know anybody in the world, including those top shooters, that can make a perfect shot every single time. Um, you know, for the average person shooting, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of like 20 to 30 good arrows. Um, and not necessarily daily, but, you know, every couple of days, you know, every other day, something like that. Um, you know, in the last year or so, I've had to back off a little bit on the amount that I shoot just because I've had some shoulder injuries and stuff. And, you know, I find if I don't shoot, you know, at least 20 ish arrows in a session, I don't retain that muscle memory as well uh, as I as I would if I was shooting, say, 50 or 60 arrows. Um, but yeah, somewhere you can just be consistent. You know, you don't want to tear yourself apart either. I mean, you don't want to shoot for eight hours because that's not good. But, sure. you know, set a goal of shooting. Hey, I want to shoot 20 to 30 really good arrows. Um, and if it's at a spot, that's fine. If it's at a 3D target, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some guys are like, oh, I can't shoot spots. And it's like, well, you can. <laughs> I've been there, right? Yeah. You can. Um, you just got to work at it. Right. Uh, right. And that's, you know, usually during the winter, that's when I'll play with that a little bit more is just trying to build up that repetition. Um, and then kind of start switching to shooting more distance and, you know, trying to shoot more 3D, especially as you get closer and closer to the season. Okay. Um, sure. But it doesn't take a ton of arrows, but it takes that consistency of, you know, 20 to 30 arrows every couple of days, you know, and if it's off season, then maybe shoot once a week. Right. But it's mm-hmm. still better than not shooting at all. Right. Absolutely. That's, that's funny. You say that about, uh, you know, not being able to shoot spots. Cause I, I know Josh and I have both kind of gone through that whole process of fearing the spot and dealing with a little bit of target panic. And you'd mentioned before we started here that you've dealt with that as well. What's, What's uh, uh, for somebody who's struggling with that right now, um, you know, w- what's the best way to get through that or just in your, in your experience, I know there's no one, you know, it, it's not going to happen overnight. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a, a process to get through for most people. Um, but w- what have you found success with in dealing with that? Uh, so, I mean, I tried a little bit, of everything, you know, blank bail shooting and, on up through right um the one thing i found with the blank bail that at least for the aiming part so the muscle memory part at that point for me wasn't really an issue um the part for me was the minute i saw that pin on the target like i just went nuts right my my brain just shut down it was like you know overload um and it was fire so it really took, I could, I could shoot blank bail all day long mm-hmm. and have my eyes open and aim and everything else. I was, I was fine. Right. Cause I wasn't picking that super small spot to aim at. Um, but as soon as I would switch to shooting, a, you know, a target, well, then I would start getting that anxiety again of seeing the pin on the spot I wanted to hit. Uh, so it really just took a lot of repetition for me. Um, I actually switched to a hinge style release and shot that for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, You can still rip them off, right? You can make them fire. But if you really learn how to shoot that hinge, 
it will teach you to be comfortable seeing the pin on the target or see the pin move off the target. Um, a lot of people too, I feel they spend way too much time, myself included, focusing on the pin and trying to put the pin on the target mm-hmm. instead of just focusing on the target, on what you want to hit, that little spot. Let that pin float around, right? We, we've got colored pins and hopefully you're not colorblind. That would be a little different, but, um, you know, if you have a green pin, right, if you're staring at the spot that you're aiming at, you're, you're going to see the pin. You're mm-hmm. looking through it. Uh, and if you really focus on that target, what I found was it took a lot of that anxiety away because I wasn't watching the pin on a target, off target, on target, off target, you know, in a bunch of different directions. Right. It looked like it would just kind of float there. It was still doing all this, mm-hmm. but my mind didn't see it that way, right? Right. So really focusing on the target is what really helped me kind of get through that and start working through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you Looking know, every year. Through the site, not at the site. Through the pin, not at the site. Sure. Yep. Um, I think that makes a, a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously it's still a process to get there, but – and start close, right? I mean, arrows are expensive. <laughs> you know, we don't want to beat them all up. So start close and slowly work your way back. You know, the other thing too is maybe aim at a big spot, right? So that you can be like, hey, get comfortable with that pin floating around that great big spot and just fire some shots. Sure. And then you know, keep going as you go out. Cause if, as you do start aiming at a smaller and smaller and smaller spot, you know, you're going to see that pin off of your target a lot more. So it's harder to get, get your mind wrapped around that. Um, and even shooting distance, right? Like, you know, if you're shooting 80 yards, well shoot at a big target, shoot at a paper mm-hmm. plate size bullseye. There's nothing wrong with that. And once you're comfortable seeing that, well, maybe, you know, try to make it a little bit smaller. You know, maybe the size of a softball or a, you know, a smaller saucer plate and then, you know, work it down a little bit, um, but don't get too small. You know, sure. that's what I found anyway, as far as the target goes. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That was, that was the biggest thing for me as well as I was kind of starting to work through the target panic process last year was, you know, I, like you just said, starting really close and just almost to the point where you can't not have your pin on the target, you know, when you're at full draw, it's like, okay, it's right there. Holy crap. I've got nowhere to run now. Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> okay. I guess like nothing, nothing horrible's happened here. Um, I guess if I just keep staring at it and focus on, you know, my release, then, then maybe this will be okay. And then, yeah, like you said, just slowly, slowly working it back and, uh, you know, focusing on the process of, of the shot more so than what my pin was doing and focusing on, mm-hmm. you know, okay, how's my grip? How's my, you know, am I level? You know, what's my release doing? Am I slapping at it or am I just nice, you know, smoothly pulling through it um, and all, all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, all, all that makes a huge difference for sure. Right. And for me, so JC, you mentioned like your, your muscle memory was there. It was the short circuit. And when you're looking at that pin, right, like your brain short circuits, for me, it was finding out like where that breakdown was, like where, where is the short circuit for me? And the first time that I ever kind of dealt with it, um, it was just a, it was like a flinch, like a, just a ripping at the, at the, the trigger on my release. Right. And so 
I got to the point where I was just like blind bailing where like my eyes are closed, you know, eyes are closed. Like I'm not even like, I'm just, I'm literally just concentrating on the squeeze and the pull through. Um, and that, that helped me for that instance. Now I've got plenty of other issues that I need to work through, but, uh, but for that one, it was, it was like my, it was like, I was trying to get away from the bow almost like I was trying to, you know, get out away from it and, and just kind of get the shot over with. But, um, yeah, sorry, Pierce. I don't, I don't mean to derail. Are we getting around to broadheads though? Cause I, I looked up at his shirt. Yes, I'm like, we gotta, I gotta yeah. get to the broadheads. Um, you know, because I've switched things up in the last couple of years. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and it's like every, Oh, it was, uh, it was Nate Sellers from average Jack archery. And we haven't launched that episode yet, but, uh, we had Nate on the how to hunt deer podcast and Nate, Nate's a good dude. He knows his stuff too. And I was like, <clears throat> you know, Nate every year, it's like, I, I try to come back to, Oh, well every year for the last three or four, I've been trying to come back to the single bevel broadhead. And I end up shooting them, and I typically can't get them to fly right, or I just get super frustrated that I can't get them to sharpen again. Or when I finally do send them through an animal, they're not nearly as durable as people like to say that they are, and they come out all chipped up, and I realize I just wasted $40 on a single broadhead. Um, so I just want to make sure we're, we're getting, uh, getting to those at some point, but I don't want to steer us there yet if you're not ready. Oh no, that was, that was my next, uh, my next question. That's another, I'm, I'm glad we're on the same wavelength here. This there is go. good. That's uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, you know, we, we've kind of talked through, you know, arrow, arrow weight with the spine and the speed, um, you know, how those affect your shot and your time in the bow, the business end of your arrow though, everybody's saying like Josh just mentioned single bevel or uh, you know, fixed blade or, or bust, you know, expandables won't, won't be durable enough. You're not going to get the penetration. You're not going to, you're not going to cut as well. What have you found or what have you seen? You know, Josh mentioned you got the grim reaper shirt on right there. Uh, and I've heard very good things about those broadheads from some guys in your shop. Um, <laughs> and for me, the, because and I'm for a Josh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that, that buck that Josh put down last year was a victim of one of those. So everybody has their own comfort level, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's going to be some guys that just no matter what will not trust an expandable, sure. um, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, you know, I've shot both quite a bit um, in the last probably close to 10 years. I've pretty much shot nothing but expandables. Um, because I don't really feel like there's a major upside to shooting a fixed head. I'm not even out west. with my setup, um, even out West. Um, you know, it's one of those things where I'm more about accuracy and I feel that that expandable is going to give me the best chance to put that arrow where I want to put it. Um, as far as, you know, durability and this and that, you know, shoot it through a concrete wall, whatever, you know, it's meant to do a job, right. To kill the animal that we're shooting it at. So if that arrow goes through that deer, if it hits a rib, a blade happens to break, you know, the deer runs off 50 yards, tips over dead. Well, what has it done? It's accomplished my goal. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and in most cases, uh, 
you know, especially with the Grim Reapers anyway, like I've found the blood trails to be incredible. Um, there will be cases where if you don't get, you know, if you're steep angles and stuff like that, where you don't get a hole that's down low in the animal, I don't care what you shoot for broadhead, you're not going to have as good a, a blood trail. Just plain and simple, right? The blood can't get to that hole in time to get to the ground before it tips over. Sure. Um, but I will say, like, with the fixed heads that I had shot, um, regardless, like, you're typically not going to have as good a blood trail because you have less damage to that that animal, um, especially with a single bevel or, you know, those smaller heads like that. Your blood trails are typically going to be a lot thinner, smaller hole, much less trauma. Um you know, it, it probably will zip through the animal, but on the same token, you know, you take an elk, if you hit it in the shoulder, I don't care what it is. It's not going through. <laughs> you mean to tell me unless that everything get, I've seen on YouTube super for the lucky. last three years is a lie? So, unless you get super lucky, it's not happening. Yeah, I prefer to shoot tomahawk blades. I want them to go right through it. I want it to just be, you know, <laughs> A three and a half pound arrow going right through the animal. That's yep. what. Yeah, so you're telling me YouTube lied. It's one of those things that you know. There's a lot of it's. It's an opinion, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. kind of got their opinion, but when it comes right down to it, you know, personally, I want the most damage done to that animal so that it's, it expires as quickly as possible. Sure. Um, you know, penetration. I'm personally not really that worried about it. You know, if I was shooting, say, less than 60 pounds in a shorter draw length, yeah, you know, I would probably shoot a fixed head. Um, but I would shoot a three or a four blade head, um, bigger hole, more cutting. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to do more damage to that animal on the way through, open up a bigger wound channel so that hopefully you have more blood. Got it. And is there, <clears throat> I guess, just in, in the types of expandable, that are out there uh you know some of them are collared and all that have you noticed much of a difference between the the different styles of of expandable head and which ones you know because i know everyone's biggest fear is well i had one that didn't deploy and you know josh and i joke about just about everybody knows what brand that was but uh (laughs) (laughs) is there is there a certain style of broadhead that um you know of expandable that that seems to have the best the best results or anything that that folks should really steer away with or steer away from? Um, you know, with the expandables, the biggest thing it kind of comes down to, at least as far as penetration anyway, is going to be blade angle. Um, the more swept back that blade is going to be, the better it's going to penetrate. Um, most likely the less damage it will actually do to the head itself just because it's swept back more. It's not, you know, a flat surface hitting something hard. Sure. Um, I mean, I, like I said, I personally like the fold open style that, that Grim Reaper does. Um, you know, I have shot animals with rage before and, you know, not really had any problems. Um, there's, I like the, the Grim Reaper system and that it's all enclosed. You know, you don't have all that really, you kind of take the, the, human element out of it in respect that it's screwed on there out of the package it's going to work sure Um, some of the others you gotta they can be a little bit tricky as far as getting those blades set properly um, in their retention systems but if you do they typically perform very well 
So, um, you know, again, it kind of comes down to what you're comfortable with, but I like more blades if possible, um, you know, and then I don't want to say the biggest hole necessarily, but uh, I just like the more blades, right? Because you're just cutting more surface. Sure. Yeah. More trauma. Absolutely. Well, I, th- I think on that note, we would be remiss to, uh, I don't think throughout this entire conversation, we've mentioned the words FOC once. And so as <laughs> yeah, folks so- talk or think about what they're, uh, um, you know, what they're putting on the front of their arrow and stuff, what's really a good, uh, a good for, for the average person, what's, what's an FOC on an arrow that's going to be it's going to get the job done. It's going to fly, you know, flat enough that it's not, you know, being lobbed in there um, at, a, at a huge arc um, that, that most folks are going to be able to shoot, shoot accurately. You mentioned hundred grain, you know, broadheads and stuff, you know, so your experience, but most, uh, most situations you're going to fall at least I'm going to use a weight up front. Okay. okay. Sure. Um, most of the time you're going to be around 115 to in an extreme case, probably 200. Um, and that's insert and head. Sure. Uh, most of the time you're going to probably fall at somewhere in that 125 to 150. That's going to be a really good spot for pretty much everybody. You know, whether it's 10% FOC or it's 20, it's going to mean almost nothing. I mean, we're talking about a, like such a minute number that it's, you're not going to see a difference in, in penetration or um, anything like that. You know, I mean, coming up with that number, it's more to do with how accurately can I put that arrow in the spot I want to put it. So, gosh, I mean, I don't get too worried if it, like I said, if it's 12 or 18 or 15 or sure. Sure. So yeah. chasing the number it's, there isn't near. It's a number, right? right? It's a 1%. There'll be a lot of guys tell you they don't even bother measuring it, which mm-hmm. I personally don't measure it myself. Um, but typically I'm in that 125 to 175 cranes up front of whatever arrow I choose. Yep. Gotcha. When it comes to, when it comes to some of these broadhead options, um, especially when it comes to a mechanical you don't usually see a bunch of mechanicals that are a little heavier, but if you want to have some of that weight up front, you know, you'll see like a 150 mechanical intended for crossbow use. Can a guy slap that on the front of his arrow and shoot that out of a compound or is it not advisable because of the, the difference of intolerances on those uh, because they're intended to be shot at higher speeds? Uh, you'd be fine with it as long as you have enough energy. So most of the time it's actually that retention system is just heavier. It's just beefier. So it takes a little bit more to open it. Um, but most cases, you know, a guy shooting 70 pounds and, you know, say 27 or above, you, you probably wouldn't notice a big difference. Got it. Got it. Got it. Hmm. So talk to me. I I, want to know a little bit more when it comes to the, the Grim Reaper heads, uh, what do you like from those? I last year I shot the four blade. Uh, I think they were 125. I don't know if they were heavier than that. I can't remember. They were like the pro series though. And yep. I was very, very happy with those. Not only, um, just the way, I mean, you, you hold them in your hand and they just feel solid compared to a lot of, uh, mechanicals that you get that, you know, you pull the blades out of some mechanicals and, you know, expand them and they just feel floppy and flimsy and loose. 
the Grim Reapers feel tight and compact and like they're a well-machined piece of equipment. Um, but pulling one out of the spine of a deer last year, that thing was still intact and, you know, looked like it was ready to go another round. And it hadn't sort of just all mangled up and bent up, which I've shot Rage in the past. I shot NAP uh, kill zones for a long time. And every time those got done with an animal, man, they looked like somebody just, I mean, it was awful. They were all bent up and twisted and all that good stuff. So um, what do you like about the Grim Reapers and, and maybe maybe point somebody in, in the right direction if they're thinking about them? Uh, so for their heads, um, you know, a lot of times with the, you know, say a little bit lighter poundage or shorter draw, if you're worried about penetration, Pro 3, hands down. Um, that one, the next one in line would be probably the Mini Mag. So it's a little four blade, inch and a quarter. Um, personally, I usually shoot the Carnivore, uh, which is one of their Pro Series heads. Um, just a bigger four blade expand, a little bit bigger. Um, I've had really good luck with that head. Um, I've shot elk with it. Um, and honestly, I made kind of a poor shot. And if I hadn't had that head, I might not have found that animal. Wow. Um, so, you know, I, the penetration part doesn't really worry me too much on that one. Um, you know, if you get a guy that's got, you know, like Randy here at the shop, he's got 30 inches, 70 pounds. He can pretty much put any of the heads on that he wants. Um, you know, like a whitetail special, something like that. We get a lot of guys that'll shoot those. Um, but they're, you know, typically that one, you're going to want to be 65 pounds and above for draw weight right. for sure. Right. Yeah, that's a big, aggra- was that a two-inch cut? So that one's a three-blade, two-inch, yeah. Two-inch cut, yeah, that's what I thought. That's a, that's, that's big getting, head. That's getting on up there. That is awesome turkey head. <laughs> oh, I bet, yeah. I have not, man, I almost bow hunted turkeys this year, and I have just, every time I get to, like, <clears throat> the precipice, like, right before I'm going to do it, I'm like, ah, I can't do it. I just, I just can't do it. I, I, they just feel like they're made for a shotgun to me. Um <laughs> But I, I think it's because I, I, I'm just not confident enough, you know, that I can put one on the ground. I see guys lose them a lot, you know, and it's like, uh, I don't think I could go through that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's a patience game. Um, it definitely teaches right. you, like, it actually taught me to be a better turkey hunter, right? I mean, I right. pretty much started with the bull and kind of have stayed there. I've shot a few with the shotgun, but um, for the most part, you kind of got to be where the birds want to be and then just, you know, trust yourself, you know, make a good shot. Um, a lot of times it's more so guys get, you know, a little bit amped up. Oh, it's really going to happen. You know, you want to hit those birds higher than what you think. Right. Um, a lot of times we just shoot them too low in the breast and we don't hit anything. You know, they'll bleed out eventually probably, but you're not really getting into anything vital. Um, you know, you, it's just shot selection. It'll teach you a lot on that for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, so. definitely. Well, man, we're we're coming up on an hour here. Is there anything that we like should have covered and haven't, or any uh, any burning topics on your mind? We're we're sliding right into deer season right now. Is there something that folks are are coming into the shop saying, "Hey, we need to know more about this"? Uh, for the most part, I think now. You know, everybody's always maybe trying to switch things up or do this or do that. But, you know, now it comes down to practice, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and if you do, you haven't been or something, you still have time to switch things up as long as you're diligent about, 
you know, spending some time learning it. Um, you know, with the modern bows and stuff today, it doesn't take that long, you know, to get comfortable shooting a different arrow. If you've been shooting the bow, especially, um, you know, it, it can be done. But, you know, typically, you know, if we're talking about arrow weight and that sort of thing, you know, most of the time between 400 and 450 grains is a really, really good sweet spot for just about everybody out there. So that'll cover probably 85% of the population. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Pierce, you got anything yeah, else? I don't think so, man. This has got me fired up to go and uh, shoot my bow a little bit. Yeah, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty pumped as well. I'm, I'm, I need to head down to my local shop. I've actually, I've got one more question for you, JC. Sure. As over the last couple of years, I have seen this, there's been this huge increase of these like mail order arrows, basically, where there are these calculators, you go online, you type in your info, they send you a batch of arrows in the mail. They're supposed to be perfect, fly perfect right out of the box, blah, blah, blah. I, I've done that. I've had decent success with that. I go into my local shop. Uh, here, I'm down in Georgia right now. The guy just hates those things. He's like, I can't believe people do this. This is the worst thing ever. Um, you know, we, we end up getting them. We can't get them to tune. I end up having to sell them new arrows anyway. I'm curious just to get your thoughts on on that concept and whether – whether you're seeing that set people up for success or whether you're seeing more people disappointed. Uh, the, most of the guys that we've had do that honestly end up coming back to doing something from the shop. Okay. Um, or go back to what they were shooting cause they shot it better. Right. Uh, and a lot of times it's just because every bow is a little bit different, right? Every rifle likes a little bit different load. Um, and in a lot of cases, bows aren't really a whole lot different. You know, for the guys that are really trying to super fine tune things, um, you know, if a guy's going to go out and shoot 20 yards and that's all he's ever going to shoot, if you have the right spine, it's going to work. Right. You know, um, but if you're, you know, wanting to shoot the best you possibly can um, or have that arrow match the best, then definitely, you know, trying some different arrows and stuff like that and going through the shop is typically going to be a better route than trying to you know have somebody guess well you know this works for you know the five or ten or 25 guys that i've put it out there for so right right and that's you know when it when it comes to the outdoors there's a lot of things that i feel like online retailers and and whatnot can can and are replacing in a lot of ways but there are a lot of pieces um you know getting your hands on gear feeling what camouflage feels like feeling what a tree stand or a tree saddle feels like um, you know, arrows, bows, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, man, fly shops. Like, to me, your local bow shop and your local fly shop, you can't replace those with online retailers. It just it just can't, can't be done. So, uh, JC, man, we appreciate what you do. Thank you again for coming on the show. Why don't you tell folks where we can uh, find you and get our, get our bow worked on or maybe reach you if we've got some questions. Uh, so, well, most of the time we're here at the shop. Um, so, uh, pappistradingpost.com is one of the spots. Um, you know, otherwise, just that would be the best place to find the phone number and stuff. Um, and that's going to be the best way, honestly, is to call. Uh, when it comes to the, you know, Facebook, stuff like that, we are on there. But, you know, for the most part, I don't get to spend a lot of time doing it. I'm too busy setting stuff up and, and doing my own thing, too. So, right. Um, yeah, just give us a call here at the shop, and, uh, well, it's number 608-753-2022. Just ask for 
you know, any one of us for the most part, uh, myself, Randy, uh, we're here eh, majority of the time. So <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah. yeah thanks thanks for having me. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.